Hello, hello. It is your host, Shraz Ahmed, ready to kick off this bite-sized episode of the Crypto Valley Association podcast. Let's discover together the growing trends of this fast-moving space and try to shed some light on the mysteries it contains. We are joined by Thomas Linder, tax partner at MME, a founding member of the Crypto Valley Association and the one-for-all solution to your legal, compliance, and of course, tax needs. So let's dive straight into the hidden world of taxes. Thomas, it's great to have you here. How are you today? Not too bad. Thank you very much. And it's also great for me to give some insights into the legal and tax matters of crypto industry. Awesome. Well, good to hear. And so why don't you kick this off by telling us what first got you personally involved within the blockchain technology space? We have been in the let's say, privileged situation that already in 2013, I guess, the team of young people uh, started a project called Ethereum and they visited Switzerland. And it was so Vitalik Buterin, Joe Lubin, Charles Hodgkinson, Gavin Wood, I think Mihai Alicia was there. And, and they checked different locations uh, where they could set up their operations. And they also visited Zug in Switzerland. And I think there's per coincidence, they visited MME and Luca Müller. And they tried to explain what what they want to do and what their vision is. And actually, we didn't understand anything. But it was very kind of exciting that they're building a technology with decentralized networks, smart contract possibilities, etc. And that's how it started. So we tried then to find the right legal structure for mm-hmm. such a, let's say, non-profit decentralized network governance and where where also a crowdfunding could be performed. And it all started from there. And and me, myself, then as a tax advisor, I mean, as soon as you you see that something is getting valuable and is generating income or capital gains or or there is some wealth, certainly from a tax point of view, this gets very interesting and also Mm -hmm. tax authorities get interested. So this whole crypto space, as soon as it created some not small capital gains uh, for some people. Uh, certainly, the interest of tax advisors um, increased uh, substantially as well. Okay, yeah, I'm sure a lot of our a lot of our listeners are a bit envious to hear that you heard about Ethereum in 2013. It definitely has gained a lot of value uh, since then, and it's grown <laughs> it's grown a lot. But wow, that's a great story. And and so you spoke about MME. So what role does MME have within this growing industry? I mean, just from a legal and tax point of view, it's a decentralized ecosystems and crypto. That there are a lot of very interesting questions around that. For me, it's about ownership and control of digital data. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so far, actually, you could also the civil law kind of applies rules that always have physical control in the center of it. So mm-hmm. ownership and property means physical control. And for a long time, also digital data was linked to physical control. So you stored it on your floppy disk, on your hard disk, Mm. and then you have been the owner of it. But now you have these clouds and data is everywhere and it can be copied and you kind of have lost the control over it. And now blockchain brings back kind of this digital control attribute to it with the cryptography, private key, public key, etc. And by using these key pairs, you're actually again 
in control of the data that is stored on the blockchain and actually copied million times, um, but only one person is actually able to initiate peer-to-peer -peer transaction. And that's kind of this very new thing that data, whatever it is, got transactionable peer-to-peer -peer without intermediaries. And so now, just as I said, we then started with Ethereum. I think one next very important project was Xapo. So mm -hmm. one of the biggest or the biggest wallet provider for Bitcoin and custody provider. And there was a, then the interesting question, is Xapo a bank? Do they qualify mm -hmm. as a bank or financial intermediary if they kind of manage digital assets by custody of actually the private key, etc.? So that was an interesting discussion with Finma. And the conclusion at the end was... If it's done correctly, you're not the bank because the control over the assets is still with the customers. So that was an important step also for the education of the authorities. And then from there, it went into the ICO kind of bubble where a lot of regulatory questions come up and FINMA issued then the ICO guidelines based on these procedures and Next steps have then been, one was Falcon Private Bank, so mm -hmm. that offered crypto accounts to mm -hmm. their customers. So that was the kind of the next step of crypto custody. And by now we have the first banks with Signum and Seba that are kind of having a banking license just based on crypto custody, kind of the, a little bit the, the timeline of important regulatory, at least from a regulatory point of view, very important um, oh, uh, milestones. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very funny that you mentioned, right, in terms of the technological evolution, we've seen that, well, we started to lose control a little bit of our data, and now technology is going to help us bring that control back. So it's quite ironic and funny to see it in that way. And, and so in, in order to successfully set up and operate blockchain services in Switzerland specifically, there are many regulatory burdens and hurdles that must be overcome. So can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, sure. There are some very basic hurdles, but just in civil law about crypto, maybe independent of a project. So usually we have this digital information unit that is now transferable from one peer to the other. Question is always, is, what is it actually? Is there any right attached to it that is transferred with this information? And it's actually not that easy to link a relative right, so like a claim to pay a certain amount or to get the reward or to be a member or whatever then the claim is, just from a civil law perspective, to link it with the digital information because our civil law is still focused on physical transfer of something. So I mm -hmm. write the contract and you sign and that's it. And so securities and claims are not that easy digitally transferable in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So that's one just civil law hurdle, but we now try to solve this with this DLT law that should come into place next year, where then the digital transfer of digital claims and securities um, is also valid from a legal point of view. Now, just from a very much regulatory point of view, we have actually three types of legislation that could apply to crypto-based transactions. One is anti-money laundering. So as soon as an intermediary, a financial intermediary, 
handles third-party funds on behalf of customers, whether this is payment systems or any other transaction, then anti-money laundering uh, regulation could kick in. And financial intermediaries, they need to be a member with a self-regulating organization. VQF in Zug is the most famous one. And so they kind of need to be licensed in a way or at least yes. a member in order to be audited, etc. if they want to handle third-party funds. Then the second area of regulations is banking. So mm -hmm. as soon as you're not only handling third-party funds, but you're actually accepting deposits of funds mm -hmm. and you hold accounts on behalf of third parties, this could then qualify as a banking activity. And that's only allowable under a license, very strict license, certainly. And the third area is collective investment schemes. So like funds where you collect as well third-party funds and you have them under management and you generate certain returns and you pay them out that might qualify as a collective investment scheme. And all anti-money laundering is, let's say, the easiest to handle. But certainly if you want to avoid to get into the banking or the collective investment scheme regulation, if possible. So, and there's been a lot of discussion about uh, management of private keys and who is really in control of the assets. Is it still the customer or is it the third party? And as soon as the third party is in control, it's then the question, do you just hold accounts or is it the collective investment scheme? And that then you might be in trouble if you don't have the appropriate licenses. Okay, well, that's, that's very insightful. And and you, Thomas, as an expert in, in all that is tax, what do you believe the importance of taxes within the cryptocurrency world? Yeah, certainly as soon as someone is generating income, capital gains, or even there is just some wealth accumulated in Switzerland, it gets mm -hmm. relevant. So whether people are mm -hmm. just buying and selling or whether they're starting mining or staking, whether they invest in certain security-like tokens that generate dividends or rewards. Certainly, it's very relevant for them personally in order to declare it correctly. Luckily, in Switzerland, we know the rule that private capital gains are tax-free. So if I just buy and sell privately and I'm very lucky that Actually, it didn't happen, but if I would have invested <laughs> in 2013 in Ethereum, yes. <laughs> I may and I would sell now, I would generate the big capital gain. And mm. in Switzerland, this is tax-free if wow. it's private. However, if it's performed as a business, it's not. And that's then the question, what, what's the difference? When does a management of funds get into business qualification? And because then as a business, you're subject to capital gains taxation. You're also subject to social security, etc. So that's an important topic on, on personal level. Now for companies, yeah, other topics are important as well. One was, let's say, ICO accounting in a way. Mm -hmm. So there have been a lot of transactions, kind of crowdfunding transactions of projects and there, the question is always, what is really the underlying relationship? So somewhere is paying something and someone else is promising something. And the question is, what is this promise? Is this a, the mm -hmm. promise to perform a 
project, to develop something, or is the promise just to send back an Ether or any other cryptocurrency? Or is the promise like a financial instrument that to say, actually, I will pay out certain rewards out of my profit in the future and you get the participation of it. And dependent on the qualification of this relationship, it might have different tax implications. So either it's the transaction itself is subject to VAT. So VAT is an important topic that is still a little bit unclear how certain transactions are treated since certainly these decentralized aspects are, are very mm-hmm. new and you don't really know who is actually your counterpart in certain transactions. On the other hand, we also know stamp duties on securities transactions um, or withholding tax on dividends, etc. So you, you really need to dig a little bit and qualify the underlying relationship in order then to qualify the transaction from a tax point of view. Yeah. Okay, I see that. And probably due to blockchain technology being able to track and trace the transactions within it, it probably becomes harder for various um, malicious activities, individuals, if they wanted to uh, tax avoid, for example, or evade, it's much harder as you're able to see all the transactions going on within the blockchain. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. You know, so certainly on the first view, you say, oh, actually, everything is anonymous and no one knows what's happening. But actually, as soon as you said, as soon as you have the link from one person to a public key, mm-hmm. you can actually track all the transactions. And so that's also, I've said once, <laughs> blockchain is one of the baddest idea, worst idea to be criminal. <laughs> because, yeah, it's, it's all transparent. Certainly, there mm-hmm. are different types of blockchains, etc. But I like to compare it with cash, you know. So if you have cash, at your home, under your mattress, or wherever you have stored it, no one knows. As soon as you buy a Lambo or a house or a yacht or whatever you want to buy, mm-hmm. and so tax authorities certainly do this wealth comparison. So next year you, you file your tax return and you have a big house in it and they don't see any income from last year. So yes. certainly they will ask questions and that's why... Certainly, if you only own very low amounts and you just try a little bit as a hobby, mm-hmm. it's not, no issue. But as soon as the amounts are relevant, uh, mm-hmm. people should be careful and should really uh, declare their assets um, in order not to get into troubles later. There is an option in, in the law that if you have kind of forgot to declare certain assets in the past, you still can do this. And it's not really a criminal act if you come forward on your own. Before they catch you. Yes, Mm. before they figure it out. Afterwards, it's too late. (laughs) Most likely. Okay, but that's good to hear that for our listeners that next time they want to buy their Lamborghini with their Bitcoin gains that they need to be a little bit careful of how how (laughs) this looks. (laughs) Great. And so do you think tax has a big role to play in why the Crypto Valley and over 500 startups now were founded in the canton of Zug? Yeah, I think... It's very important in a way that in Switzerland, you can discuss all transactions. You can discuss openly with with the tax authorities. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know how to treat something or if you would like to treat it in a certain way, but you're unsure whether this is accepted, it's possible to talk to the tax authorities and it's kind of an easy or a, a friendly relationship. 
that's maybe mm-hmm. the right term. It's a friendly and open relationship to the tax authorities. In other jurisdictions like the US, actually, sometimes I have the feeling every taxpayer is on the first side seen as a criminal, as a mm-hmm. potential criminal, and then you need to prove that you're not. <laughs> Here mm-hmm. in Switzerland, it's a little bit the other way around. So yeah. innocent till proven guilty. Yeah, that's right. And even tax authorities see the taxpayers more like customers that are getting a service from the state mm-hmm. and certainly need to pay taxes. But it's a relationship where you you try to figure out together what the right qualification is, and so that helps also in tax area. So we call these tax rulings where we summarize certain transactions and facts and also the tax consequences. And then you can hand this in with the tax authorities and discuss it. And if they agree, they sign it. Mm -hmm. So in advance, you already have a kind of 100% opinion by the authorities how they would treat a certain transaction. And I think that gives a lot of legal certainty to any type of business. So it's not <laughs> not uh, limited to crypto. That's very important for uh, Switzerland and the canton of Zug in, yes. in specifically that so many uh, companies have set up operations in that location. And in Switzerland, every canton actually is responsible for their cantonal, but also for the federal tax. Okay. So that means just for income tax, you talk to either to the Zug authorities, Zurich mm-hmm. authorities, Argau, wherever you, wherever you live. Mm-hmm. And certainly the smaller cantons, they have the advantage that it's easier to talk to the one specific person that is responsible okay. for income tax, corporate tax, whatever. So that's why it's a, a lot of new businesses and startups, if they are in a yeah, maybe just a very specific industry mm-hmm. like now crypto or like commodities trading or yes. certain others. They try to or they like to locate in a in a smaller canton like Schaffhausen or Zug mm-hmm. or even Appenzell or Niedwalden because mm-hmm. it's just a easier access to the tax authorities. And uh, in the okay. bigger cantons like Zurich, Geneva, Basel, it's a little bit more cumbersome to really speak to the right people. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. And it's great that that framework is in place and that that friendly relation is there as well. It's, it's wonderful to hear. And so as a whole, where do you see the future of tax headed in the blockchain space specifically? Yeah, at the end, I see blockchain as just a technology and not the specific industry. So I think at the end, it's important that the authorities understand the technology, understand some specifics, and then apply this in a very neutral way to all the different taxpayers, whether they're in financial industry or logistics or commodity trading or whatever, where this technology then can be used in the future. But I think there was some learning process, certainly also on the authorities' side. They have done their housework. They have also published certain guidelines. So Mm -hmm. the VAT authorities published guidelines, how they treat certain transactions. The federal authorities have published from a withholding tax and, and stamp duty point of view. Certainly there are still some gaps. Some are bigger, some are smaller. But because it's really not that easy to qualify certain transactions. But I see that the authorities are open to discuss and mm-hmm. we try together with the clients, with the community to 
educate them further to try to present some solutions to some questions. And I think that, I mean, the main topic, at least certainly from a tax point of view, is is the decentralization and that you are communicating with a decentralized system Mm -hmm. and you can use it and you can transact and sometimes something comes back like in mining or staking mm-hmm. and but you don't have a specific counterparty that is identified like in maybe other transactions where you always mm-hmm. know this interest is paid by Mr. X and he's located in jurisdiction Y etc mm-hmm. and here you're transacting with a decentralized network that does not have really a location and, and there's also not a legal subject etc but yes creates a lot of, let's say, gray areas or questions mm-hmm. that we need to solve. But I think uh, Switzerland is here in a good shape yes. that, that mm-hmm. authorities are open and they also like to work with taxpayers on such solutions. No, well, that's great to hear. And uh, yeah, I think doing your, your homework is very important. I think, I think my high school teachers would approve that message. And it's an important one. So thank you, Thomas, for those valuable insights. Do, do you have any last words for our audience uh, on, on this matter? Yeah, I think certainly the next important step from a civil law perspective will be this DLT law that hopefully will be enacted next year. So it's still mm-hmm. in parliament, but it looks good. So that would be the next step that really digital transfers of claims and securities are valid from a civil law perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would open a lot of possibilities in DeFi and, and decentralized exchanges, etc. I think that's a very important step. And on the other hand, just to, to everyone that is holding some crypto assets, just if you have not declared it in a tax return, you might be in trouble. So uh, you should resolve this situation. <laughs> Well, you heard it here first. Please make sure you, you deal with your, your tech side. And well, I hope we were able to shed some light on the, the hidden world of crypto and taxes. So if you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to check out more on our website, CryptoValley.Swiss, where we host plenty of events, educational content, and even provide information on how you can join our growing community. So thanks again, Thomas, for joining us. Um, stay tuned, stay safe. And until next time from the Crypto Valley in Switzerland. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks.